This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ in Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. Hello, everyone. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Today's episode of Persuasion is sponsored in part by Lifeway's Christian Standard Bible. It's a translation that presents the truth of God's Word with accuracy and clarity. The CSB equips today's readers for lifelong discipleship with hundreds of designs to choose from at csbible.com. I'll put those CSB details in the show notes for you to track down later, because right now we have our final episode in our Happy Thankful People miniseries. These conversations have featured special guests, and they are addressing different aspects or hurdles, as I see them, of the holiday season. And so our first conversation was with Barnabas Piper, and we talked about happiness. And then we talked with Dustin Crow about thankfulness. And that leaves one last hurdle, which could be the most complex, I think, Hannah. Uh, It's the people factor. Right. Because we also want to remind you that it's not just that these things are a hurdle in normal times. Like, we all know the challenge of um, true happiness, true thankfulness. Um, And today we're going to talk about um, making sure that we're giving attention to the people God has placed us with. Um, But we also have to acknowledge that we're in a really difficult moment here, um, not just of kind of social division, but still living through um, in the middle of COVID and the pandemic. And and those kinds of things that were hard to begin with are going to be even harder. Like it's going to be a lot easier to excuse our lack of gratefulness. It's going to be a lot easier to excuse not reaching out to people or not being aware um, of the people around us in this moment because there's just so many hard things happening. There really are. And even though the holiday season, I'm thinking of like Thanksgiving through the end of the year, through Christmas, these holidays, they typically present us with all kinds of ways that we can be reaching out, we can cultivate relationships, we can cultivate different things that bring us joy or happiness, or we can think of things that we are thankful for. But with the pandemic and the weight of the nation on our shoulders, it feels like these things are all the harder to press into and to cultivate. I think that with the people side of it, We have even the challenge of can we get together and some of our relationships need some nurturing and tending. And that's harder because of the social distancing that we've had to observe. Right. If there's anything that we're going to be prone to is going to be hunkering down in our spaces with our immediate people like, 
either immediate family or that set of friends or relatives that are your safe people. Um, and while there is absolutely a call for um, care in not spreading the virus, we also have to be careful that our hearts are not becoming accustomed right. to hunkering. Oh, my right? goodness. I have noticed this. Like the times when I've really needed to be out and do something, it's sort of like, whoa, this is different. There are people here. <laughs> it's really quite something how easy it is for your heart to change or for your perspective to change where you're just not accustomed to those social niceties or even feeling like this is normal just to be out and talking with others. Right. We are completely out of practice. And even what little capacity we had before is lost. And so that is why I am so glad um, today to have Chris and Elizabeth McKinney on to help us kind of reboot. Like, just consider this your turn it off and turn it back on again. We need that. Episode <laughs> for... Relating well and serving and loving our neighbors well. Um, Chris and Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Now, we um, asked you on specifically because of a book you guys have written together. It's called Place for a Purpose, A Simple and Sustainable Vision for Loving Your Next Door Neighbors. And I like so many things about that title. I like simple and sustainable. Yes. Because right now. I'm into that. <laughs> yes. That's about the limit of what I can do. Um, but also this vision of your next door neighbors, your the people God has sovereignly, geographically placed you in proximity with. Um, but I want to let you tell readers a little bit, readers, listeners, <laughs> hopefully readers, yes, eventual readers, um, why don't you first tell us where you've been placed? Where has God put you? And what was the purpose behind this book? Yeah. So we live in Columbia, Missouri, right in the middle of Missouri with uh, our four daughters and our Pomeranian puppy, new COVID puppy. Oh, <laughs> and, cute. Oh, yeah, my gosh. They finally me down. And we... So we were we moved into our neighborhood about eight years ago, and even the story behind that uh, is kind of even feeling like God placed us uh, in in a pretty pretty crazy way. But we were doing campus ministry at the time at the University of Missouri, and kind of in one of the most stressful seasons of our lives. Although this might be one of the most stressful, it's <laughs> it's close second. And we um, just kind of felt like we wanted to get to know the people around us. Uh, we weren't looking for more ministry to do. We weren't looking to add more to our plate, we just knew if we didn't start reaching out to some people around us, we might um, feel really isolated. And so we uh, had a few neighbors over for a little fish fry. Uh, it was very small to a couple families and uh, it was a lot of fun. And we met another couple who said, hey, maybe we'd love to have you, ha would you wanna have help uh, and do some more of these things? And we're like, uh, sure, why not? And we, what we found was that people in our neighborhood were really starved for community. And we just started helping plan these events and helping people connect. And um, one thing led to another. And we began to see God really strengthen the social fabric of our neighborhood. We saw um, some people begin to follow Jesus uh, in a small group. Um, and we also made friends and got to know a, people from a, a wide variety of backgrounds, people that we probably would have never interacted with had we not gotten to know them through some of this uh, neighboring that we did. Mm -hmm. 
So now that's an interesting word. I think maybe we, well, at least we we think we know what a neighbor is and our categories may be a little bit off, but I don't know that I've heard a lot of people use neighbor as a verb or <laughs> what do you mean by neighboring? When we, when we decided to make this our full-time focus about three years ago, I remember talking to a friend um, at, at our church and say, I think we're going to start really focusing on neighboring. And she said, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we had re- we had read the book The Art of Neighboring oh. several years ago mm-hmm. and, um, by Dave Runyon and Jay Pavlock, and I think they were the ones to really coin that term as a verb. And I think for us, it's been the idea of sometimes we think about loving our neighbors in such a broad way that we we rarely even think about our next door neighbors. Mm. We rarely think about the ones who live right beside us who we pass by every day. So our heart is really to be um, an encouragement, a resource to, um, to the church to help us remember our next door neighbors. How did that begin to develop when you say you, you wanted to focus on it and, and make that the heart of what you're doing? What did that look like in those early days? Well, I I could tell a story. One day we we were in church and we had walked inside the building and a family that we had known through all these different block parties or wine nights, different events that we had done in the neighborhood, we we ran into them. And I remember thinking, if we had made a list of a hundred neighbors that we would run into at church, these would have probably been some of the last neighbors I would have expected to see. And yet here they were. And um, we, we went inside to worship and I could not focus. <laughs> so I, I sent a Facebook message to the wife and it was kind of like, do you come here often kind of thing? <laughs> and um, she responded and she said, you know, we, we started coming to church because our kids said they didn't believe in God. And in the process, we found him and our lives are changing. And are you in a small group? And if so, can we join? And we said, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. And so the next Sunday, they walked across our backyard and into our living room. And that was, um, that was, I think, three, Mm -hmm. three or four years ago. And we began thinking, four years ago, we began thinking, wow, here, um, here were some people who they, when they were ready and, and, and when God was at work in their lives to begin attending church and, and really seeking God, they knew believers. Mm-hmm. And, and to watch their lives begin to transform, we thought, man, maybe, maybe we could turn this into yeah. a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. Get to experience right. the same thing. So, and our lives had been so enriched through the process that um, our lives were changed. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group? teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. 
Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, Bow offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. We're talking with Chris and Elizabeth McKinney today about um, their book, Place for a Purpose, and the, I don't know if you call it the art, the ministry, the gift of neighboring, um, of having presence with the people that God has placed you in proximity to. And um, Chris and Elizabeth were just sharing how uh, God began to do this in their own hearts in very practical ways with the people that um, were in the spaces that they existed in. And, and I was just struck listening to you guys um, explain this, how um, countercultural this is perhaps for us in the United States, which is really funny to me because we live in neighborhoods, you know, we, we live um, with people, but you could go through your life and never really know the people that live 200 yards from you. Um, and, and so I just had, um, a question for you, particularly Chris, cause you grew up outside the United States. Um, what do you see as p- maybe the kinds of inherent challenges to even pursuing, um, neighboring? Like, like if a person's listening to you and they say, Oh yeah, okay. I'm beginning to c- understand what you're talking about. Uh, I can even begin to see the potential for that. What are the kind of initial hurdles that we're talking about even culturally um, that we would have to be aware of as we go down this road? So we, through the process of getting to know our neighbors and talking to other people about, you know, their neighborhood, do they know their neighbors? I think we we began to realize that there is definitely a cultural narrative or a cultural definition of what it means to be a good neighbor. And then on the flip side, I think there's a biblical definition There was a really interesting study done by the Harvard School of Medicine in 2008, where they sifted through some old records, some social um, uh, research that they did, where they, in the 50s and 60s, they asked people, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And they responded with all the things you would think, like, you know your neighbors, you know their names, you're able to introduce the new neighbors to other neighbors in the neighborhood, you are able to, uh, you know, in times of trouble, you can lean on your neighbors for help. And so then in 2008, they said, let's send that same survey out and see what people say. And basically, the responses they got back, they summarized it with being a good neighbor today, at least in the United States, means basically leaving your neighbors alone. So it's this um, stay out of people's business, be friendly, of course, and take your trash out and keep your lawn nice, keep the music down. Uh, when you're supposed to, and that's it. Like you, that is being a good neighbor. And so if we live in that definition, if we're swimming in those waters, if we're doing that, even as Christians, we think we're being a good neighbor. And I think what we're trying to do and what we've realized is that's not (laughs) the definition of a good neighbor. I think, you know, the story, even of the good Samaritan, it's like being a good neighbor, I think, in, in God's story is, is, is initiating, is, is taking that step towards your neighbor. It's not passing by on the other side of the road, but it's stopping and interacting. 
It's not leaving people alone. We are not designed as humans to be left alone. That's the worst thing that could happen to us. And so I think helping people um, see and believers see that that we need to kind of break out of that cultural narrative and, and live out of God's story and, and what he what he would say would be the definition of being a good neighbor. That that's so needed because we are so able in today's culture to craft who is in our world and um, monitor whose paths we cross. It's so easy to keep our bubble pretty tight and um, it, it will limit us in terms of the types of neighbors we have, the types of needs that our neighbors have. It, it shifts our whole perspective of what does it mean to be a neighbor if everyone is clothed and well-fed and doing fine, then we might think, oh, well, we're being a good neighbor because we're just all hanging out and being social. And yet we may have people right next door who have serious need, whether it is financial or emotional or physical. And we may never know because we haven't enlarged our bubble, meaning uh, in perspective, (laughs) because we have our bubble already set. So how do you break through that? Because we, we really do set up our boundaries of our life. And very often, it's not including the people right next to us. It's the people we go to church with, our small group, maybe the parents of your kids' friends or something like that. Well, and as you were saying earlier, we're all in need right now. We're all struggling right now. So um, I mean, we're, we're lonely. We're, um, we need our neighbors. So it's not just that perspective of... Um, like they need us, although they, and I, and I'm, I'm thinking about just interactions that that I've had with neighbors in the last week where they've shared some really, really heavy things, but it's also that, man, we, we need them. And and I think in today's cultural moment where, like you said, we're able to uh, kind of the algorithms on our phones, our, our, our social feeds are, they are, so crafted in such a way that they will tell us exactly what we want to hear in a way. And it ends up being a lot of people who think like us, vote like us, look like us, talk like us, et cetera, versus when you start to interact with your neighbors and you start to have to um, open yourself in a way to what what other people believe, what they believe. And, and we always say one of the most helpful phrases to us in neighboring is saying the words, even if they're by faith, I can understand where you're coming from. And, and I think those words are, we, we believe in a way that we have to agree with someone to accept them versus when we know that we can accept someone, even if they think differently from the way we do, we can, we can have really strong relationships with people who might be, might be very different from us right next I really appreciate you uh, bringing that up because I do think beyond the culture of America or, you know, the modern world, those kinds of challenges, there are also hurdles kind of built into our um, maybe our religious traditions or the categories that we operate in as Christians. Because as as soon as you say that, Elizabeth, the, the first thing I thought of was, um, how often we have this mindset of it's Christians against the world. And um, 
what happens in the uh, arena of neighborliness then becomes, I need you to fit into one of those categories. And um, I am safe with my Christian friends, with my Christian community. I know I belong to them. And if it is this paradigm of us against the world, the Christians against the world out there, if I don't know that you're part of my Christian community, then you're obviously other. You are the world. And there is this built in, I mean, like you can't avoid it. If that's the disposition you have, you have very little um, common ground, maybe with your neighbors that you could even begin to build relationship. And then if you do, um, it maybe takes on this kind of project ministry dimension where your goal is to um, everything you do with them is to bring them into the Christian fold in the sense of every, you know, be every interaction, every kindness has this underlying um, ulterior motive. But I know that there's also a distinction there. So I know you talk a little bit about this, how to relate to people who don't hold the same value systems and belief that you do, while also hoping for their ultimate good, which as Christians, we define a certain way. So could you talk a little bit about that tension as well as the question, what's the difference between ulterior motives and ultimate motives? I think, and it was helpful for us, but I think in this time, if we engaging with our neighbors is going to require this ultimate motive, which is to say that ultimately we would love for people to experience God's love and, and, and come to know Jesus and but that's not the the end end goal in each interaction, right? So 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 ultimate motives would say that every step in the process, um, who the person is, is valuable and can be celebrated and enjoyed. And so if we are interacting with some neighbors and we, you know, the conversation is about their lives or their work, and we didn't get in the church invite, I think some people could feel like, oh man, like. That conversation didn't count. It didn't matter. But that would be kind of living out of some maybe alter- ulterior motives of like, I'm going to have these people over just to get the church invite in. And if they don't respond, then I'm moving on to somebody else. Um, but but with ultimate motives, you can celebrate the fact that you had an, uh, an awesome time with, with that neighbor and really got to know them and built that friendship, ultimately hoping that that one day they would come to know come to know Jesus, but enjoying every process and, and enjoying the process and every step along the way. Mm-hmm. When I think about the that project mentality, that um, sense of like, we have this goal in mind, and we're, we're focused primarily on, let's say, fixing someone, meaning they need Jesus. And until then, <laughs> they're not like, almost like they aren't um, able to be on the same level as us to be friends, I feel like it kind of creates this um, almost like a hierarchy, like the people down there versus the church people. And kind of like what you were saying too, Hannah, about the us versus them. But that project mentality, I I have found that it is obvious to people. Um, we've we have lots of friends who are not Christians, and they have shared with us that 
they have been the project of Christians and how painful that is. And um, eventually, I think they have said, hey, we we get the heart behind it, but it doesn't feel good. Like, no one wants to be a project. And so that tension is really hard because I, I, I think all of us want people to purely come to know Jesus because of his goodness and his love. And yet, on the front end of it, it may feel like, oh, you just want me to think like you think. That's hard. Have you had some conversations like that in your neighboring? Well, I think because of the way we started, we we knew our need for our neighbors. Um, and, and they they know that we need them. I mean, they see us parenting at the pool and our kids not obeying us. And, <laughs> you know, um, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of one of those things where when you, when you open yourself up to a real relationship, it is vulnerable. Um, but it's not a real relationship if you're not willing to embrace who the person really is and allow them to embrace the real you too. Which is someone who has needs just right. like them. So so I'm hearing you say that the vulnerability is crucial. There's no way around that. Um, you you need to be honest that yes, you know Jesus, but that doesn't mean that then you've arrived somewhere and now you are ready to bestow upon everyone else everything that you've learned. I think I used I, I used to think more that my neighbors would see me kind of thriving mm. and surviving and thriving that whole yes. thing. Think oh I just wow <laughs> if I live my life like that right. then you know, I need right. and it's really been the opposite. I've I mean they see my brokenness and they see my need for Christ and and I'm not offering them this person who's. Uh, surviving and thriving. I'm offering them just a a broken person who needs a savior, and and I think they see all those gaps in us, and mm-hmm. and that that is humbling. But that's something I've, I think we've seen. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of it. That's a big. Part of it. Well, as we think about this um, broadly, I'd like to also narrow into this moment. Um, because we are in a very unique time. And if a person is listening and they get your book and and they want to start moving in this direction, um, practically speaking, you know, we're not going to be having big block parties or invite the neighbors in or um, are there things very practically in this moment that you've chosen to do or that you would suggest um that listeners could follow up on in a moment of great division socially and a moment of limitations because of the pandemic and all of our kind of natural rhythms being overturned, how would we go about practicing um, neighboring in this moment? Yeah, we were actually just talking about this for our neighborhood because we're coming up on Thanksgiving and Christmas and we've had things that we've done um, that we're not going to be able to do. And we were just talking about how even with our own families, like we're not traveling to see any family and there's a good chance that family isn't coming in to see us. And we were just thinking, I bet that might be the case for a lot of our neighbors as well. Like there might be there might be a lot more availability with our neighbors during the season than typically because they might not have company in and they might not be going places. And so that kind of helped us kind of spur us on to say, we want to continue to 
lean into neighboring and interacting with our neighbors, especially during the holidays, because it could be maybe especially lonely or isolating. And so I would say just some practical stuff. I don't, it depends on where you live in the country. Uh, but being outside, I think, is 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 a great option. Um, one of the things that we've done that's been one of the best neighboring tools is a portable fire pit. And I know not everybody can do this, but we move it out to our front um, yard and our, our driveway. And we just build a fire and have people over and do s'mores or it's like a they're like fire is like the like it's like moths like yes. the, the neighbors <laughs> so true. Like come to it and, and like nice to peanut butter yeah it's and, and so I think that is a is a great uh, option um, and then even just smaller than that is just waving saying hi asking people you know if they're traveling if they're not and if they're not maybe say hey would you guys want to come over and have some hot chocolate in the driveway this other neighbor over here they're not going anywhere. Um, we're also, we did a turkey trot in our neighborhood for the first time last year and, uh, and it was small, but it was fun. And we were like, should we do that? We don't know. But then we're like, there might be a lot of neighbors who would love to come and hang out with some people on Thanksgiving morning and we'll all be outside and we can take the necessary precautions. So I think realizing that, um, those things will help us take those practical steps. And just to remember that it, it's never just a wave. It's mm. never just a smile or um, learning a neighbor's name. And I, I think for for a lot of us in COVID, uh, if if you didn't know your neighbors before, when the world shut down, it was like, okay, these are the people that are right around me. And so, what might have felt previously like just insignificant? Oh, it's it, what? What could it ever do just to wave or, or 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 to learn someone's name? Suddenly, we felt the weight of how significant those seemingly small interactions truly, truly are, and that that learning someone's name or even relearning someone's name, having the humility to say, "I know we've lived, we've lived um, alongside each other for a long time," but remind me of your name. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get it. I'm Elizabeth. And then reintroducing yourself that takes humility, but, um, you, you can never really move from being a stranger to an acquaintance to, to being a true friend, let alone a brother and sister in Christ without knowing that person's name. So I think giving significance to those small things and, and trusting that God, he works through those mustard sized, uh, mustard seed sized interactions. That's so encouraging. I I think that all of these things that you have been discussing, they are refreshing and some of them are so simple and yet such a reminder that this is the way of building those relationships and and getting connected both of you, you to them, them to you and that creates just a really lovely picture especially during holidays and and even during the pandemic. So, thank you so much Chris and Elizabeth for being here and um sharing about your book. Um and I'll get all those details posted in the show notes about your book and and how people can reach out and uh continue with you there. But thank you for being on with us. You Thanks bet. Thanks for having it was us. Really fun. Yeah. Again, uh, Chris and Elizabeth's book is Placed for a Purpose, A Simple and Sustainable Vision for Loving Your Next Door Neighbors. And um, I just want to give a shout out as well to uh, the artist who designed the cover. I love the title and I love the cover. And I just, 
I actually had to get online and find out who did it. And it was um, Laura Schembrer. I don't know if I'm saying your name right, but we see your work and it is beautiful. Um, so listeners, go get the book, uh, read it, begin even in these moments to move toward um, this ministry of neighboring. And as always, um, if you want to share that journey with us, you can find us on Twitter at Persuasion CAPC. Also, we're in the Christ and Pop Culture Members Forum. Um, you can become a member for just $5 a month and join in all the conversations that we're having there, including uh, the conversations that we begin here on Persuasion and take over there and continue. Um, and your donation helps us support that as well as the articles and magazines and all the other good content uh, that Christ and Pop Culture is producing. We want to say thanks again to LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible for supporting this conversation. Persuasion is produced by Jonathan Clausen, and it's part of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. So you can give all those shows a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com or by searching for Christ and Pop Culture in the iTunes store. We do appreciate all of you for listening to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at ChristandPopCulture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Better Samaritan Podcast, where Jamie Ayton and Kent Annan discuss everything from simple acts of kindness to complex humanitarian challenges with their guests. Want to learn how to faithfully do good better? Find insights at The Better Samaritan.